grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. You be good now. The young man hears his mother calling as he stands in the threshold of her, of her house, standing between the barrier of the world of expectations and rules and chores and the world out there of freedom and fun and mistakes. You be good now, she says, and he thinks to himself, what does that even mean? And before he can even ponder what it is to be good, he forgets about it. He gets into his friend's car where his friends are already drunk, going to a party where everyone is acting like total fools, and the night will end with him in handcuffs and in tears. You be good now, she said, expecting not that. You be good now is a, is a plea heard from parents across the nation, but what are we asking our children to do as they leave our homes? We want them to make good decisions. We want them to practice forward thinking, to exercise good judgment, and not to just let life take them away. The beer is handed in, placed into their hands, the shots taken just because they're put in front of them. Think ahead. But that takes work. It takes work, and it comes with a risk. What would that young man risk trying to be good, like his mother said? If he walked up to that car and smelled the alcohol on his friend's breath, what if he said, oh, I'm not going to do this, bye guys. He would risk a boring night where he would have to go back into the house and find something else to do. What if he got all the way to that party and saw how everyone was acting ridiculously and said, ah, oh, I can't, I really can't be here, and he found a ride back home. What does he risk? Reputation? Lose a friend or two? Being good, it comes at a cost, doesn't it? God is the ultimate good. He sets the bar for what good is, what good means, and to not be good like God comes with catastrophic consequences. But to try to follow his will for our lives, it comes with a cost, doesn't it? But the cost is worth it. That's Paul's point in Romans chapter 12 when he says this. Do bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You see, we're in Romans chapter 12. Paul is rounding off his discussion, his letter to the church in Rome. He's had his major theological discourse. He wants to leave the church, the Christians in Rome, with a couple key takeaways. He wants to start beginning his parting words with them, and this is what he says. He promotes humility, empathy, kindness, patience, all good things, right? In fact, if you picked up the Bible and these were the only verses you had ever read, Christian or not, we would agree that they're pretty good. A non-Christian could read these words and say, that sounds great. Humility, kindness, patience. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. I agree with that. That sounds just like self-help books, doesn't it? 
sounds just like advice columns. Until you think about the cost. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What's the cost of truly being empathetic? What do you give up? You give up being the main character in your own story. You give up taking center stage. You give up on life's mission to have everyone around you understand you and see what you're going through. Because in order to be empathetic, you have to listen to someone. And in order to truly listen to someone, you have to set aside your own agenda. And I don't know if I'm ready to make that commitment. To consider people of low position, to, to be considerate and to spend time with people of low position, what do you have to give up? You have to give up on the rat race of trying to step on people's heads to get at the head of the line. You have to get, give up only associating with people who give you something, who can make your life better. And that's kind of contrary to how we think, isn't it? And when you look at these words from Paul, you see, despite their sounding very nice, if we're actually going to put them into practice, they come with a cost. And nowhere is that clearer in where he goes next. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not take revenge. Revenge is our bread and butter. Revenge is in our DNA. Don't take revenge, Paul. You, you say too much at this point, Paul. Because if we took revenge out of our vocabulary, there would be no more action movies. What is the plot of every action movie ever? Bad guy does bad thing, good guy comes, punches bad guy in the face, and roll credits, right? <laughs> Batman. His parents are shot in an alley. He spends the rest of his life taking revenge on his city for what those criminals did to him and his parents, right? Every other superhero, revenge, 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 they all take justice into their own hands. And it's entertaining. It strikes a chord because we get revenge. We get that there are scales to be balanced, and we get the desire to be the one who balances the scales. So we put ourselves in those superheroes' shoes, don't we? But we do take revenge in our lives. You see, you see it happen, somebody gets punched, the person who reacts by punching them back, and before you know it, they're in a fight, reacting to each other. And they would do that for eternity until one of them dies or someone stops the fight. I hope none of you are getting into physical fights regularly, but we take revenge in other ways, don't we? Your spouse at home points out that something you did, something you said, maybe wasn't the best. Maybe you could have done it better. Or I didn't like the way you talked about me to your friends in that way. And it hurts my feelings. So what do I do in response to my hurt? I want to make them hurt back. Revenge. And before you know it, we're both reacting to each other, yelling at each other, criticizing each other. We're in a fight, and it would go on for eternity if something else didn't interrupt it. Someone at work makes your life hard, 
makes your job hard. You take revenge. Maybe not to their face. Maybe you don't file a complaint. Maybe you don't tell them about it. But the things that you say to your friends after work over drinks, you just got to get it off your chest. But what are you doing? You're taking revenge on the person who has wronged you by waging a silent war in your heart against them, even if they never learn what your opinion of them is. Revenge? Don't take it, Paul. But what do we risk if we follow Paul's advice here and give up on our quest for revenge? What if we do remove revenge from the ways that we think? What do we risk losing? Don't we risk losing justice, Paul? Because these people are out here mistreating us and we are, we're not supposed to retaliate in any way. We're supposed to bless those who persecute us. We risk balancing those scales, don't we? What do we risk if we take into account every, what everyone thinks about us? As far as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone, do good in the sight of everyone. What do I risk if I start to worry about what other people think? Don't I lose my individuality? Don't I lose my self-expression, Paul? But maybe if my life was all about asserting myself, if my life was all about just being heard and expressing myself, and that's where my self-esteem came from, that's where my confidence came from, knowing that no one can mess with me without getting it, maybe that is worth putting aside, wouldn't you say? If revenge is our top priority, that no one get away with anything, Maybe it's time to realign our priorities. But won't we burn ourselves out worrying what other people think, trying to do good by everyone? Won't we overextend ourselves? Won't we run ourselves ragged? When's my turn? When's me time? When do I get mine? No one thinks about me. Well, yeah. If it was your job to create peace on earth, if it were your job to create justice, to make justice happen on earth, then yeah, you probably would exhaust yourself. You probably would burn out. But that's not your job. You are not a peace creator. You already have it. It's as simple as just sharing it. Keep in mind where we are in Paul's epistle, brothers and sisters. We are in chapter 12. What has Paul been talking about for chapters 1 through 11? He's been showing us God. <clears throat> He's been revealing to us the peace that we have from God. Because vengeance is mine, I will repay. Those were the most terrifying words we could ever hear from a holy, righteous God while we were still in our sins. Because back when it was us versus God's holy law, we were on the losing side. The scales were not balanced, and they were not balanced, not in our favor. If God was going to take revenge, we had punishment coming for us. Because God is holy. He is perfect. He is just. And reve revenge is his. But God is also good. He is loving. He is merciful. God had to, had to punish sin. He did, because he is just, because he is fair. But because God loved you, he punished sin on Jesus, his own son. Every drop of blood that Jesus shed on the cross 
was one that you should have. But Jesus shed for you in your place. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says, and he has taken his vengeance. It's not coming for you anymore because it was enacted on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. God is not coming for you anymore with revenge, with punishment. That has been taken away. Your sins are punished already on Jesus, and in its place, you are given love, peace, status, relationship with God himself. God is good. He is perfect. He is holy. And he is love. He loves you. That means you have peace. So following Paul's example here is as simple as being the peace that you have. You are not earning God's love all over again by living this way. No, you already have it. You are already forgiven. You are already at peace. So what do you risk to live this way? To bless those who persecute you, to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, to not take revenge. What's the risk? There isn't any. You don't lose a thing by living this way. Why do people take revenge? It's because, isn't it because they're scared? They're scared that if they don't take just, if they don't make justice happen, that their accusers, that their abusers will just walk off scot-free without any punishment. You Christians, you know better. Because Christ has shown you God himself. You know that you are in the hands of a loving God, and you know that your loving God is also just. That you can trust him. That if there are accounts to be settled, if there are wrongs to be righted, that God will take care of it. So you don't have to. You can just be peace even when you are wronged. Why do people refuse to associate with people of lower standing? Isn't it because they're scared? They're scared that if they spend time with people who have nothing to give to them, that they'll lose somehow at life, that they'll lose on opportunities, that they won't be as successful. But you Christians, you know better. You are successful already because you have been given Christ's success. You can afford to spend time with people who have nothing to offer you because you're already good. You can afford to be the peace that you have, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to show that you are untouchable, you are invincible because you have Jesus' love and no one can take that away from you. Why are people self-centered, bent on self-expression, living life, sticking their necks out, trying to make everyone notice them, doing wild things to get attention? Isn't it because they're scared? They're scared that they, if they don't, no one will value them. No one will notice them. No one will appreciate them. You Christians, you know better. You are valued. You are noticed. God noticed you before you were even born, and you are appreciated because Christ loves you with an incomprehensible love. You do not need to embark on a mission to make everyone see you or make everyone understand you because Jesus already does. You're free to practice empathy, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. And in order to do that, 
Don't you have to know what people are rejoicing about? Don't you have to know what people are mourning about? And that entails that you listen to them. Listening not just to come up with something to say, but listening to someone else's heart. Because you don't need to be heard. You can hear them. And note that Paul is not just talking about other Christians, is he? When he says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those, those who mourn, he's talking about the way we should interact with everyone in our lives. Listening, loving, being empathetic, because you can afford it. So what do you lose when you put this into practice? Nothing. You are at peace with God. Now be that peace with others. Christians, as you go home today, you be good now. The week ahead of you is stuff is going to happen. Stuff that is frustrating, stuff that you don't exactly like. You're going to talk to people. You're going to get wronged by people. Practice forward thinking, Paul says. How are you going to respond? Are you going to react? Or are you going to think ahead and take what Paul says to heart? When you are wronged, are you going to take revenge? Or are you going to leave it in God's hands and be at peace? Are you going to love? Are you going to listen? Are you going to practice empathy? You know that you can, that when you do, you don't lose anything. You are at peace with God. Go be good. Be the peace that you have. Amen.